The scripture reading this morning will be taken from 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. These things are right to you, though I hope to come to you shortly. But if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourselves in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of the truth. Good morning. We are very grateful for your presence. We have a good number of people here today to worship God in spirit and in truth. To those of you who are visiting, we want to invite you to come back and be with us at every opportunity that you have. We're always grateful for the number of visitors that come our way each and every Lord's Day. And we hope that the time that you spend with us is profitable. It is our prayer that we would do all that we can to exalt the name of Christ in this community. You may be looking for a church home and we encourage you to consider the work here. We would be more than happy to have you come and join hands with us as we seek to advance the cause in this location. I know that the elders would be more than happy to answer any questions that you may have. And from time to time, there are questions that arise. And so we would want you to feel free to ask any questions that you have, and I'm sure you'll get a satisfactory answer. We're going to be looking today at 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. We want to talk about the components of Christian living. I want to begin by saying that there are two types of sermons. The first, and probably the most familiar, is what we would call a verbal presentation of the Word of God. And there are many of us that every opportunity that we have seek to publicly proclaim the Word of God. Sometimes we do it privately. But nonetheless, it is a verbal presentation of God's Word. But then secondly, there is what might be called a visual presentation of God's word. This has to do with how we conduct ourselves in the community in which we live. The idea is that we carry ourselves as God's people. Both are important. We need to, no doubt, verbally convey God's will, God's word to a lost and dying world. But then we also need to demonstrate before others what it means to live a Christian life. And so in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, we have these two components. And so I want us to think, first of all, about what Paul says regarding the importance of practicing the truth. And this has to do with our behavior in the faith. In verse 14, Paul said, These things I write to you, that I, though I hope to come to you shortly, but if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct or behave yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. What does it mean to practice the truth, to behave ourselves as God would have us to do as members of his church? Well, First of all, if you look at verses 14 and 15, there is what I would call the revelation 
of the word of God. In verse 14, Paul again says, these things I write to you. In verse 15, he says, even though he wants to come to them, if he's delayed, he writes so that they would know how to conduct themselves in the family of God, in the house of God. How important is God's revelation? Well, we understand that the Bible is extremely important. God has given us his word so that we might know how we ought to live and interact here on planet Earth so that we might know how to engage in a relationship with the Lord. And Paul here is writing, and Paul, by the way, is writing by inspiration. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 37, Paul said, if any man thinks himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things which I write are the commandments of the Lord. Paul wrote the commands of Almighty God. He wrote by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And Paul wrote with a purpose, an intent. That intent was so that individuals might know how to live in accordance with the will of God. In Ephesians chapter 3, Paul said that he received revelation from Almighty God. He said he took that revelation, wrote it down in human terms, in human language. He said he received that revelation, wrote it down in a few words, whereby when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. And so you and I, we can take the revelation that God has given and we can read it, we can discern it, and then we can make appropriate application in our own lives. And that's really what Paul is saying here. He has written to these people so that they can know how they ought to live. Revelation so important. But then also note, if you would, the relationship that we sustain to the Lord. Now Paul here is writing to Timothy. Timothy was his own son in the faith. In verse 15, he says that he writes so that he might know how to conduct himself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God. You and I enjoy a relationship to Almighty God. First of all, we have been born into the family of God. We talk about physical births and the fact that as parents we have children, they are born into this world. They are born into our family. Well, spiritually speaking, we are said to be born into the kingdom of God or the family of God. How does that happen? Well, first of all, we have to have some understanding of God's word, God's will. The Bible says faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God in Romans 10, 17. Paul would say we are to walk by faith and not by sight, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 at verse 7. So we have to have faith in Almighty God. And then we act upon that faith, and that leads to repentance. We turn from the ways of the world. We give up a life of sin. We are willing at that point in time to confess the good name of Christ and then we are immersed in a watery grave of baptism. When we are baptized into Christ, we are then added to the body of Christ in John chapter three. John gives us insight into a conversation that took place between Nicodemus and Jesus. Nicodemus was a ruler among the Jews. He was a Pharisee. He came to Jesus by night. And in coming to Jesus by night, he said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do the miracles of the signs which you do unless God is with him. Jesus then said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus thought Jesus was talking about a physical birth. And so he asked the question, How can a man be born when he is old? 
Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus then said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So when we're baptized into Christ, what happens? We are delivered, as Paul would say, out of the power of darkness and translated into the kingdom of God's dear Son. That is, we become members of the body of Christ. We become members of the family of God. We are born into God's family. So first of all, we're born into that family, and then we belong to the family of God. There is a sense of belonging in the kingdom of God. Now, Paul here is writing to Timothy, and he's talking about how he might know how to behave himself in the house of God, the church of the living God. We belong to God's family. God is our Father. John would say in 1 John chapter 3, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the sons of God or the children of God. God is our heavenly Father. There is a sense of belonging in his kingdom. If you belong to the body of Christ, then you enjoy a very special, a very intimate relationship with deity. It is a blessing to be a child of God. When Paul wrote to the saints in Corinth, he talked about how they at that point in time, belong to the Lord. He said, know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, which is in you, which you have from God. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. And then he says, therefore glorify God in your body and spirit, which are God's. And so there is this sense of belonging. We belong to the family of God. So in looking to 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, as we think about our behavior in the faith, how we are to practice the truth, the Apostle Paul first accentuates the revelation of the Lord and then our relationship to the Lord. But then thirdly, there's what I would call a requirement in the Lord. And this really has to do with how we are to reflect the Lord. We are to reflect the Lord in our daily lives here upon planet Earth. Now, two things here. The first has to do with the danger of inconsistent living. Now, you remember what I said a moment ago, there are two types of sermons. The first is the verbal presentation of the Word of God. The second is the visual presentation of the Word of God. We're talking right now about visually presenting God's Word before others, how we behave ourselves, how we live and interact in the community, in the world in which we live. What about the danger of inconsistent living? Well, the danger of inconsistent living is when we know the truth, we say we believe the truth, we say we're members of the body of Christ, but we don't back up our words in the way we live. Listen, if you would, to what Jesus said in Matthew 23, verse 3. He talked here about the scribes and the Pharisees. And he said, they say and do not. That's a danger. Sometimes we have members of the body of Christ who claim to be faithful children of God. The problem is they don't live like they should. Their actions don't back up their profession. And really, one of the dangers here is it impedes the cause of Christ. One of the crutches that has been used by an unbelieving world is the crutch of hypocrisy. And there are a lot of people in the world today that will say, you know what, I would be a child of God, I would be a member of the body of Christ, but 
And their but is the church is filled with hypocrites. Well, you and I, we understand that hypocrisy is not a valid argument for not belonging to the body of Christ. But sadly, some people use that line of argumentation to, to defer obedience to the gospel. And so what, what Paul is saying here is, you and I, we don't need to fall into that trap. So the danger of inconsistent living. Now, I want you to think with me about the duty of living a consistent life. And this has to do with backing up what we profess. Remember what James said in James 1.22, be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. Listen to Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 4 at verse 12. He said, let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word and in conduct. In other words, here's what I want you to do, Timothy. I want you to live like a New Testament Christian. I want you to show the world what it means to be a child of God. How do you do that? Well, first of all, you do it by your speech, what you say. Then secondly, by how you carry yourself, your conduct. Now let me just pause here and ask this question. When people look at you, when they observe your conduct in the community, when they listen to your speech, can they walk away and say, you know what, that person is a child of God. Here's somebody who just typifies New Testament Christianity. Here's somebody that is trying to the best of their ability to live a godly life in Christ Jesus. I would hope and pray so. You and I, we have that responsibility. Now, there's a second thing that we see in our study. Not only does the Apostle Paul address our behavior in the faith, but he also talks about the importance of broadcasting the faith. This has to do with proclaiming the truth. Again, we're talking about the visual presentation of the Word of God, but now we're talking about the verbal presentation of the Word of God. Both important. Both necessary in the Christian life. What does it mean to verbally present the word of God? Well, there are two, I think, very important aspects of this point. In the first place, there are the messengers. You and I, we are the messengers we have the responsibility of going out and making disciples, as Jesus would say, of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then teaching them to observe all things whatsoever we've been commanded. So, how do we do that? There are two ways that we as messengers take the gospel into all the world. It begins where? It begins right here at home. It begins in our own family, and then it begins to grow out of that. Well, how do we do that? First of all, it entails a public declaration of the Word of God. You and I, we can publicly declare the Word of God. We don't necessarily have to be a preacher or a teacher, but rather we can publicly declare the Word of God where? We can do it on the ball field. We can do it in the classroom. We can do it in the cafeteria. We can do it on the job. Let's just say for a moment we're standing in the break room at work and we're talking to several of our coworkers. 
Can we not in a public way share the word of God? Can we not engage in a public discussion, if you please, of the word of God? Can we not ask somebody, why do you believe that? You say you believe that you say you believe that we are the products of evolution. I believe in creation. Tell me, why do you believe that? Here's what I believe. What about with regard to the scheme of redemption? We talk about the church, how we become members of the church, New Testament worship. Can we not talk to people about those things in a public way? Look in Acts chapter 8. You remember what the Bible says regarding those who are scattered abroad following that great persecution that swept the early church? The Bible says in Acts chapter 8 verse 4 that those who were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. Really, New Testament Christianity entails those of us who belong to the body of Christ taking seriously the Great Commission and publicly proclaiming this word. The Bible says in Acts chapter 8, verse 5, that Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to those people. Verse 12 says that many of the Samaritans, that is, many of those people, many of those people that had the opportunity to hear Philip, believed the things that he said concerning the kingdom of God, the name of the Lord Jesus, and they were baptized, both men and women. And then secondly, not only can we publicly proclaim the word of God, we can privately proclaim the word of God. We can privately share God's word, can we not? Look at Acts chapter 8. Drop down, if you would, to about verse 26. What do you read about? Well, Luke tells us about Philip coming in contact with an Ethiopian eunuch. This eunuch had been to the city of Jerusalem to worship. He's on his way back home. He's reading from the prophet Isaiah. I believe that he was, he was a proselyte to the Jewish religion. So he's reading from the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 53, talking about the suffering servant, the Messiah. When Philip came into contact with him, here's what he asked him. Do you understand what you're reading? How many times have you talked to people privately about the word of God? And you ask them from time to time, do you understand what you, do you understand what you've been reading from God's word, do you understand what the Bible says about this subject or that subject? Well, Philip asked this question, do you understand what you're reading? And here's what the eunuch said, how can I accept some man guide me? He was reading from Isaiah 53 about the Messiah, the son of God coming into this world. Luke tells us beginning at that same scripture, Philip preached unto him, Jesus. What did he do? He went back to Isaiah chapter 53. He could have very easily gone all the way back to Genesis chapter 3 verse 15 and introduced him to the promise made in the long ago about the coming of the promised seed. And then just traced that promised seed through history and talked about the prophets who foretold of the coming of the Son of God with Isaiah graphically depicting the suffering servant who would die for the sins of the human family. The eunuch came to believe that this was indeed the Son of God, and Luke tells us he was baptized into Jesus Christ for the remission of his sins. So we have that opportunity. We have the opportunity of sharing the word publicly and privately. Let me ask this question. How often do you talk to people about the Lord? Do you talk to your friends? 
Do you talk to your family members? Do you talk to your co-workers? Do you talk to people at school, on the ball field? Every opportunity that we have, we ought to do our dead level best to share the Lord with others. Why? Because the Bible says that people in this world are lost and dying in sin. They need the Son of God in their lives. So, the first point that we want to make has to do with the messengers. But now, the message. Now, here's the beauty of it. We are the messengers. But let me tell you what. God has armed us with his message. He's given us his word so that we can take this message out into a lost and dying world and do what? Share it. We are, as has been said in days gone by, we have been loaded for the kill, if you please. This word, this book right here, has the power to change lives. Do you believe that? Look, look, at, look at our world. Look at our nation, look at our society, look at the home. Look at the individual lives of people all across this country. What's the greatest need our society has, has today? What's the, what's the greatest need our nation has today? The greatest need of our nation, the greatest need of our society, the greatest need of every family in our nation is this book right here that we call the Bible. Now, you and I, we are the messengers. We have the message. We have the antidote that will save a lost and dying world. There are people all around us who are dying in sin every day. Pick up the newspaper. I challenge you to pick up the newspaper today and read the obituary section. You'll read of scores of people that have stepped out into eternity every day as a matter of fact, every second of every minute of every hour of every day of every month of every year, people are stepping out into eternity. And so what you and I need to do, we need to take seriously the Great Commission. We need to do all that we can to share the good news of the gospel of Christ. Now, here's, here's something to think about. This message that we have, the gospel, it is a message of love to a world engulfed in hatred. You ever thought about that? We live in a world that is filled with hatred, animosity. We live in a world that is filled with murder and all of the vices of men and yet standing above all of that is this message of love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Paul would say in Romans chapter five, but God commendeth his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. How many people in our world right now, let me tell you what, there are people in this city, if they were to be frank and honest with you, they would tell you nobody on this earth loves me. There's not one person that cares anything about me. And let me tell you what, that's the devil's lie because God loves you. God loves them. Who's gonna tell them about that love? You are. I am. 
I have that responsibility. You have that responsibility. The gospel is a message of love to a world engulfed in hatred. And by the way, the arch enemy of the human family is the devil. And the devil hates you. The devil hates me. The devil wants my soul to rot in Gehenna, in the hell of fire. The gospel is a message of love to a world engulfed in hatred. Secondly, the gospel is a message of light to a world engulfed in darkness. This world's in darkness. And the devil's doing everything he can to keep this world shrouded in darkness. Why do you think the devil wants to remove this book from our society? Why do you think the devil wants to see this book banished from our government, from our buildings, from our homes? Because a closed Bible means a darkened and uncivilized society. When the Apostle Paul recounted his commission by Almighty God, he said one of the things that he was to do was to turn people from darkness to light. Our world is in darkness. Paul said that our responsibility is to share the gospel of light. You and I, we are to be followers of the light. And how sad that people are living in darkness, shrouded in darkness. John said the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. This world is under the sway of darkness. But then thirdly, the gospel is a message of hope to people without hope. There are a lot of folks in our world today, if you ask them, the sad fact is they don't feel like they have a, they don't feel like they have a bit of hope. They go to bed every night, no hope. They don't feel like they have any opportunities in life for what we would call a better life. Now let me tell you this. Things may not go well materially. Things may not go well physically. But you can have hope spiritually. If you're outside of Jesus Christ, you are without hope. And the message that we have to people who are without hope is, in Christ Jesus, you can have hope. In Ephesians 2.12, the Bible says that those who are outside a covenant relationship with the Lord, they are without hope and without God in this world. They don't have any hope. But you and I, we are the means by which they can have hope. In verse 13, Paul said, But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off are made nigh, brought near by the blood of Christ. The blood of Christ can make the difference in the lives of people. What is it that's going to wash away the sins in the lives of an individual right now, it's the blood of Jesus. That's why it's a message of hope. And then fourthly, the gospel is a message of salvation to people under condemnation. If you're not in Christ Jesus, here's the verdict. It's condemnation. The Bible says in John 3, 17, that the Son of God came not into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might live. Listen, the world is in condemnation. Before Jesus came, the world was under condemnation. That was the sentence. We talk about the death penalty and people on death row. If you're outside of Jesus Christ, people in our world outside of Christ, they are under the death penalty. They're on death row. They just don't know it. Who has the answer? Who, has, who, 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 of, who of us has the keys to unlock the door? 
Well, those of us who are Christians, we have the keys of the kingdom. There is nothing worse than living in a lost condition. You and I as members of the body of Christ, we have the responsibility of behaving in the faith, of practicing the truth. But we also have the responsibility of broadcasting the faith, that is proclaiming the truth. And we have the message, the gospel. Now, you've got to know this book before you can proclaim this book. You've got to know what this book says before you can share it with others. If you don't know what this book says, you need to spend the time to read and study to understand it so that that it's a part of your DNA, so that it's a part of you, so that you can sit down and share it with somebody compassionately, kindly, and energetically. Well, in closing, are you a Christian? What are the components of Christian living? Practice the truth, proclaim the truth. Very easy. Are you doing that? If you've never obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ, I plead to you, Today is to come to Christ. You'll enjoy an abundant life, John 10, 10. If you'll come to Jesus Christ, every sin will be washed away. On, on Pentecost Day, Peter said, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. If you do that, the Lord will add you to the church. And then if you'll live faithfully, the Lord will bestow on you the crown of life. If you're here today, you're not faithful, why not come home? Why not come back to a loving God who will abundantly pardon as we stand and sing?